At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. cover one thing real quick with Alex. You know, I tried to up my game this week. I don't know if you guys have noticed Alex's uh, dress game lately. It's been on point, right? I just had to point that out quick. I tried to up it this week and tried to match him, but, you know, I'm not as good as Alex. But uh, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, many of you guys have enjoyed your sabbatical from Jim. Um, me, not so much, um, but he's been uh, still with me. But no, uh, just kid. It's great to have him back to be able to do his job now, and uh, I don't have to preach anymore. No, I always count it a privilege to be up here, but I'll tell you, it's an anxiety for me, and it's always like, man, I'm just so tense every time I come up here to speak to you guys and uh, present God's Word. I don't, I don't take it lightly, and so um, it's a great privilege for me. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Then we're going to go back into Ecclesiastes where we left off last week. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, you can uh, look on the screen. We'll have it up there. But uh, one of the most fascinating things about human beings is that they are conscious and self-aware. We are a conscious being. We're self-aware of who we are and, and the things that we do. Um, and no other creature on the face of the earth has that capability. My uh, cows at home don't sit in their pen and wonder what life has for them. I know what life has for them. Um, they don't wonder what the end is. They don't wonder about life. No other creature does this. We as human beings are blessed with the intellectual and spiritual capacity for self-consciousness. It is humans who have the ability to reason and think, right? While animals are driven by primarily their instincts, human beings instead look to uh, for deeper purpose and meaning in their being and actions. And out of this capacity that we have, we're driven towards a greater vision for our existence and to discover our life's larger purpose, right? We all long for meaning, hopefully. We all long for meaning. We desire to matter um, in this world. We desire to uh, matter and play a part, uh, to move towards an end, a glorious end, and if we were to sum up that desire or drive in one word, I think the word that we would use is ambition. And all of us, out of our uh, self-conscious uh, capacity, have ambition, right? We all have ambition. Sometimes you might think, man, I don't think my kids have any ambition. I wake them up in the morning, and they don't have ambition at all, right? But all of us have ambitions we have things that we're ambi ambitious about. And the Webster Dictionary defines ambition in two ways. The first way is what many of us think of ambition um, as. It's an, ad, it's an ardent desire for rank, fame, and power. An ardent desire for rank, fame, and power. But there's a second definition that's in there that is more important for our discussion this morning. It's this. Ambition is the desire to achieve a particular end to achieve a particular end. And when I say that we all have ambition, what I mean is that 
We all have a drive within us to move towards an end that is a larger vision or purpose for life. We all should have a drive in us for a larger vision or purpose for life. And the question for us then is not whether or not we have ambition, but what is the end that we have ambition towards? What's the end result? What's that ambition towards in the end? And who or what determines what that ultimate vision that we have is? Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series uh, called Smoke and Mirrors, and we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes through there, and in the beginning, we were introduced to the preacher, and uh, whose voice carries through the book of Ecclesiastes, and um, it carries throughout the book. He's, he is evaluating the purpose and meaning of life under the sun, meaning here on earth, right? He pursues various meanings and purposes in life to see what end, um, what end they bring. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at uh, several different ways he's looked at, uh, naturalism, uh, intellectualism, and last week, hedonism. And in this uh, search, what does he find in every one of those? He finds that they're all meaningless, right? He says they're completely meaningless. And today, he turns his attention to another potential source for meaning, ourselves and our ambition, and when we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12, the preacher's words say this, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head but the fool walks in the darkness. Right away, the, per- the preacher turns now to consider another possibility, another possible meaning in life. In the previous, he described last week what Alex was talking about, how he indulged himself in things or whatever he wanted, right? And, and the outcome was the same. He found it all meaningless. And so he turns now to a different path, and, and we see this different path Um, kind of what he talked about in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, with wisdom and folly, but this time he comes at it from a different angle. He comes at it looking at wisdom through the lens of ambition and achievements, and he turns to consider wisdom in relation uh, to madness and folly. And if you take those madness and folly, that's kind of uh, the last two words there. They're actually connected to form an idea, right? And if you look at that, it's kind of like really foolishly living your life, kind of how I live my life the first half, right? When we're young, we live it foolishly. That's what my mom would tell me. But we live like that's a foolish living, extremely foolishly uh, living your life, and the preacher ultimately dismisses this purpose as the way it should be, right? He says right there that it's better to have wisdom than folly. In uh, in fact, his pursuit of... um, Hedonism already displayed the emptiness of foolish living, as we talked about last week. We saw how he he was talking about foolish living, and he dismisses that. And so what he's doing is, now he contrasts it with wisdom and what it has to offer, and he says wisdom has more gain than folly. That's an obvious one, right? It's better to live wise than it is to live foolishly. I don't think anybody out here is like, man, I hope and I'm striving for to live foolishly in my life and what I do and the decisions that I make. 
Nobody should be doing that. If you are, you need to come talk to us afterwards. It's so obvious to the preacher that he compares it to the difference between darkness and light. Or to be able to see versus to be able to stumble around in the darkness and be blind and have obstacles. Wisdom, the way of living rightly in the world, produces results and brings profit to the wise. It allows one to see their way instead of leading them to stumble over the obstacles in life. It's good to have wisdom rather than folly. If we were to picture or meet this preacher in today's day and age, he would be at the top of his game. He would be, probably own a multi-million dollar company through hard work, determination, ambition, and striving. And he he's probably owns this multi-million dollar company, maybe a Forbes 100 company, or, or maybe he's a top athlete of his time that he's worked towards this and been ambitious towards it, and he's achieved great things. This is the type of person we're talking about here, this preacher. And in many ways, he embodies much of our Western idealism when it comes to ambition and achievements. We're often taught that if we put our mind to something and we make wise decisions and we're ambitious towards that, that we can do whatever we want. Man, we can achieve whatever we want. We can do great things. We make our achievements the end game at any cost. And for many of us, that's where we aim our lives, in the achievements in the gain that we make. And for us, ambition is the idea of pursuing achievements in order to make it to the top. For many of us, man, it's in our job. We're like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll be ambitious and I'll sacrifice my time. I'll sacrifice maybe my time with my family or I'll, I'll do whatever I can to get to the top because, man, that means more money and that means I can buy more things. Or maybe it's a, a sport, man. I'm going to put all my time into this and I'm going to be ambitious and achieve things and, and try to be the best I can at this sport. Or maybe it's in school. I'm going to try and graduate honor in my class and I'm going to gain all this wisdom and, and do all this stuff to study and, and produce great things, right? None of that is bad. Let me just go out on the record and say none of that is bad. We talk about the GOAT, who's the greatest of all time. We rank everything from uh, athletes to presidents or whatever. But the question is, if that's the end goal, to pursue achievements and live wisely, is it a worthy end? Is that a worthy end for us? Is it something worth giving our whole entire life to? And the preacher, what he says is he ultimately doesn't think that is. He doesn't think that. In fact, he ends this in the same way he did the previous. He says it's all striving after wind. Ultimately, for him, the pursuit of wisdom and achievement, and, and basically it's all meaningless. Why does a man who's achieved so much think that all of this is meaningless? Why does he say that? Why does he say that wisdom and achievement are meaningless pursuits. Another way we could look at it is we might ask, why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? Why don't accomplishments, when we accomplish something great, why doesn't that ultimately satisfy us in life? I don't know about you, but I love to achieve things. I have to see things happen in front of my eyes. I want to achieve it, I want to make it, and I want to do it right, right? I'm a, I'm a big hunter. Sorry, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm a big hunter. And so 
I watch a lot of hunting shows, and so I'm like, man, I'm learning from them. I'm trying to figure out how they're doing this and all that. And a few years ago, I went out to Kansas, and I'm like, I want to do this. I'm practicing with my bow. And I go out, and I always see these guys who put up a stalk on a big buck. And I'm like, how do you do that? These guys are smart, right? And so this year, I'm out in Kansas a few years ago, and I'm like, man, I'm going to do this. And so it happened. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm in this tall grass, and I'm out there, and it's all coming together, and this buck comes in front of me, and I had the opportunity to harvest the biggest buck of my life, and I did it all by a stalk. And I remember, like, getting in the car and driving home, and I'm sitting there in the car, and all I could think about was not like, man, I just shot a giant buck. It was, man, I can't wait to get back. I know there's bigger bucks. I got to find a bigger one. It didn't satisfy me. It was like, man, I had to find a bigger one. And a lot of you hunters know where, you're, where I'm at there. You're always after the bigger one. It's kind of a silly illustration, but that's how we are in our life a lot of times. We accomplish something great, but then we like, oh, it's great for a, a moment, but then we want something better. We want to achieve this. And why are we wanting to achieve that? Why are we striving for that? Verse 14 through 16 says this. Why, we we want to answer the question, why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? And it says this, And yet I perceived that the same event happened to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. Pretty depressing there, huh? The preacher points to two reasons why he made this conclusion. The first one, the first reason, is that regardless of whether you've accomplished great things or nothing at all, regardless of whether you have all these achievements that you have or nothing at all, you're still going to face the same results in the end. There's no way around it. Jesus noted in Matthew 5, 45, he says this, that God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Just because you have chose wisdom, just because you haven't been foolish, just because you've achieved great things and you have a lot of accomplishments doesn't mean that in life it's going to be easier for you. doesn't mean that you're not going to face suffering. doesn't mean that, that trials aren't going to come along in your life and next thing you know, you're walking through hard times. You still will experience the same exact thing is what he's saying. Whether you're foolish or whether you're wise. Just because we, you choose wisdom doesn't mean that you won't experience suffering in life. Many things happen in life that we simply have no control over. However, the prophet has something else in mind here when he talks about the same event in that verse. And when he says the same event, he's referring to the reality that both the wise and the foolish will experience death. Both the wise and the foolish will experience death. I hate to cut it to you guys, but everyone in here is going to die one day. There's no way around it. We can't defeat death. Death is the great neutralizer. No matter what you've accomplished, no matter how wise you are, one day you will die. And for the preacher, he recognizes that that's the end. 
that wisdom and achievement cannot keep him from experiencing the exact same result as the foolish. Death comes for everyone. And one of the reasons that living for accomplishments or achievements can leave us so empty is that no matter who you are, at some point, all of what you have accomplished goes away. Everything you have goes away. You might enjoy it for the time being. Some might enjoy it for longer. But everything you've accomplished will go away. As Pastor John Scott once noted, he says this, life on earth is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. So we would be wise to travel light. We shall take nothing with us. You're probably thinking, John, where are you going with this? This is pretty depressing, right? He continues to give us a second reason for why he has reached the conclusion that accomplishments don't satisfy. It's not only because death comes for us, but it's also that your accomplishments will be forgotten. More bad news, right? I hate to say it, but man, whatever you accomplish here on earth, someday nobody's going to remember you. It's sad, right? And some, it might be 10 years, some, it might be 100 years. You might accomplish great things, and man, you might be remembered for 1,000 years. Who knows? But at some point, those things fade away. Some point, you won't be remembered, or those accomplishments won't be remembered. Man, the preacher, he's at the top of his game. He's heads and tails above everyone else. And yet he's seeing that his accomplishments are meaningless. He's seeing that the wise person dies just like the fool, and over time, they're forgotten. When we stop and really evaluate that, right? If you can think of somebody who you remember, the great accomplishments that they did, great people in history, right? When I mention um, Alexander the Great, who literally has been labeled the Great, right? How many of us could really list off his accomplishments? Sure. What do we know about him? He was the king of ancient Greece. He conquered um, much of the known world in the 4th century B.C. But can you name the battles that he won? This is a guy that was named the Great. He was labeled the Great. Can you uh, name any significant moments in his life? Even more so, how about a, a, a... first century athlete. Can you name one of those? Or a a great general from the Middle Ages? How about a, a senator, your senator from 50 years ago? These are all people that achieved great things. They did great things, but can you name them? Why? Because time neutralizes our accomplishments. Achievements and ambitions seem meaningless when you look at them in comparison to the movement of time. And so the preacher looks at these two realities of death and fading of memories, and he declares, what? He says, I hated life, in verse 17. As he considers achievement, success, ambition, and all these things as the meaning and purpose of life, he finds it empty. For man who accomplishes so much, he, he recognized that it was all pointless. And the truth is that ultimately ambition 
that focuses on us and strives for accomplishment that make our name great cannot satisfy the desires of our heart. No one knew this better than Deion Sanders, one of the great athletes of his time, right? This is a guy that played for five different NFL teams. He played for four different Major League uh, Baseball teams. He played in two Super Bowls in one. Uh, he played in a World Series. This guy is at the top of his game. Greatest achievements in his lifetime. He worked hard for him. He had a great uh, career and w was at the top of his game. And he goes on a show um, wild with, um, or running wild with Bear Grylls. And he's on there, and Bear Grylls is uh, interviewing him, and they're talking about the first uh, Super Bowl that he won, and they're talking through this, and, and Dion says, man, when I left the Super Bowl and we won, I went back to my room, and I sat in my room, and I felt empty. He goes, I didn't go out and party that night. I, I didn't go out and celebrate that night. I just felt empty. This guy just won a Super Bowl. Greatest accomplishment for an NFL player. And he felt empty. So much to the point where he tried to take his own life and drove his car off the road. And like the preacher, Dion's story reminds us that often when people achieve their dreams, their ambitions, and make them about themselves, they still feel empty. And some of us might be at that point today. Some of us might be like, man... I still feel empty in all the accomplishments that I've made, all the things that I've done in my life. I've done all these things, and I still feel empty. And so what do we do? How do we not just fall into despair? How do we not just hate life like he's talking about and drive our car off the road? How do we not get to that point? Here's where I wanted you to hear this, because he gives us a glimpse into how to not do that. In verse 17, he says this, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. What we see here is that what we've seen throughout the, this book is that the preacher is drawn to despair because he's only looking at purpose and meaning under the sun, meaning here on earth, right? He's only looking for meaning without God in the equation. And when we take God out of the equation, achievements and ambition, all of that feel pointless because they're driven towards what? Ourselves, right? And the point of Ecclesiastes is to remind us that if we are to find true meaning, we have to look above. We can't look at everything here on earth. We have to look to God. We have to put him in the equation. And we realize an essential reality when it comes to achievements and ambition that God is supreme. There's no greater person or anything. God is supreme. Isaiah 42.8 says this, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He's literally reminding us that no one is greater than God. He doesn't share any of his eternal glory with anyone or anything, that he is God, he's supreme. The Apostle Paul also reminds us of this. In Romans, he says this in 11.33, Oh, the depths of my riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How un unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and amen. Paul literally expounds upon God's supremacy here. That no one is like him. God is supreme over all things. And therefore, everything is ultimately about him, right? Including our lives, our ambitions, our dreams, whatever it may be, our achievements, everything is about God. And when we align with this purpose, when we align um, with the, the life that he wants us to live, man, we find meaning and purpose in that. When we actually align our life with God and we do what he wants us and we put him in the center, we find purpose and meaning. I want you to picture the moon. The moon is an incredible thing on a summer night, right, when it's full and it light, all lights up and pretty spectacular, right? Nobody? It's pretty cool, right? <laughs> but why does the moon look so cool? Because of the reflection of the sun, right? The sun reflects, or the moon reflects the sun and it makes it look incredible and beautiful. But what if I was to take the moon and I was to place it at the center of the universe, what would happen? Extreme darkness, right? Because it, it's, it's not beautiful. It has a glorious purpose when it, when it actually reflects the sun. So it also reminds us of the centrality of the sun. So when the sun is reflecting, or the moon is reflecting the sun, it's beautiful, but when it's not, it really is just darkness, right? In the same way, for us, Scripture is not calling us to reject our ambition. It's not calling us to say, hey, don't, don't be ambitious. God is not asking you to not achieve anything. That's not what he's trying to say here. The question is more, who is at the center of those things? You or God? If God is supreme, then our ambition should be for his glory. And our achievement should be to make much of him so that he is worshipped. We're not created to be the sun. We're created to be the moon. We're not, we're not supposed to be the center. God is supposed to be the center. And we are ultimately supposed to reflect the true son, Jesus so that people can see the beauty of him. We're not made to be the center. And the good news of the gospel, the reality that we find when we don't just look at what happens under the sun, but what happens above it is that we find out that God shares his victory with his people. He shares his victory with his people. We actually uniquely see this in the scripture, as we look at the larger scale or narrative of uh, the scripture, we see this in our passage that God literally wants to share his victory with his people. And how does he do that? For the preacher, he highlights the great equalizer of life. What was it? Death, right? And what do we know about Jesus? What do we know about God that he sent his son to defeat death, right? With the death on the cross, and, and then he rose from the dead. And that's where we can put our faith and trust in him. And we know that there's life above. There's not life on the earth. We don't look on the earth. 
It's where he gets his glory because he defeated death by the resurrection on the cross, right? I love the passage that, that Taryn just read when we were worshiping. Man, the tomb is empty, amen? It's incredible that he defeated death. And so if we just sit and look at death as the neutralizer and we try to think through those processes of, man, what am I going to achieve in my life and what does it matter because I'm just going to die anyways and I might die tomorrow and I'm trying to achieve all these things. But man, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we rest on the fact that he did it all on the cross and that he rose from the grave and he defeated death, then we can actually live our life here and achieve great things for him. When we put God at the center of everything we do and not ourselves. And that's what we're seeing in Ecclesiastes is that when we look at everything under the sun, it's meaningless. But when we put God at the center and we look above into what he's done for us and that he shares in his victory with us, we can have true meaning and purpose in our life. Having survived his suicide attempt, Deion Sanders found himself at the bottom. But it was there that uh, he, uh, it was there that he actually realized, man, I, I need help. And so as he says that as he's sitting in his car at the bottom of the hill where he drove off, he says this, shortly after I drove off or drove my car off the road, I had to come to the Lord with my hands up and say, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You got me. I give up. God, you take me. Ultimately, Dion would surrender his life to Christ and begin to follow uh, him. But Bear Grylls, who is also a Christian, makes an interesting observation in response to Sanders' testimony. He says this, he said, there's a greater power to being able to achieve amazing things and yet hold them so lightly because you have something far more precious. And you know, we share a faith together that's like a backbone to me as well. And it's like all the achievements and summits, there's nothing or they're nothing compared to what or to that something inside. And that something inside that he's talking about is the relationship with Jesus Christ. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes everything about you. It changes all of your direction, your purpose, your meaning, your ambitions, everything. And as Sanders reminds us in the conversation, he says this in the end, it has to be something bigger that you're working for, that you're living for. If it's all about you, you've already lost. Think about that. When we live our lives all for ourselves, when we try to achieve great things and we have ambitions and we do all these great things and when we put ourselves at the center and we do all of that for us, eventually we find out it's meaningless. Eventually we find out that it's worthless and that we're empty. But when we put God as supreme, when we make him the center of everything we do and all of our accomplishments, man, those are great things. And we find meaning. We find purpose. I want to read this quote for you before I end here. 
It's from John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He says this, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know the few great things that matter, perhaps just one, and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing. And my question for you today is who's at the center of everything you do? Are your ambitions towards yourself? Are you trying to achieve great things for yourself? Or do you have God at the center and you're glorifying him in all that you do? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to open your word, God. And God, I just pray for each individual here, for myself included, Lord, that, um, God, we would just have ambitions towards you, God, that ultimately if there's somebody in this crowd that doesn't know you, that they don't have a relationship with you and that they, they need to do that today and, and they need to understand that, God, I pray they'd come talk to one of us because that's the greatest decision that they'll make, Lord. And then their purpose and their meaning will matter because we don't have to look here on earth, Lord. We look above to you and what you've done on the cross for us. And so, God, I just pray that each one of us today would find meaning, would find purpose in you, and that we would put you at the center of everything we do. We just praise you for what you're going to do through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.